Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 21. I'm your host, Pavel Braminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guest. Today's guest is David Christianson. David is a certified financial planner, registered financial planner, trust and estate practitioner, chartered investment manager, and has been a practicing financial planner and life advisor since 1982. David is a portfolio manager and senior vice president of National Bank Financial, leading Christianson Wealth Advisors. David helped pioneer fee-for-service financial planning and independent advice in Canada. He was a founding board member and director of Ethics and Practice Standards for the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners, IFP, and was lead author of the Code of Professional Ethics and Professional Standards of Practice for RFPs. David is an author and personal finance columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press since 1994. He has been named as one of the top 50 financial advisors in Canada in 2014 and 2017 by Wealth Professional Magazine, named a fellow of FPSC in 2013, and has won a large number of industry awards and has been recognized numerous times for his volunteer leadership and community involvement. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. You forgot to say he's a real nice guy. <laughs> he's a real nice guy. And I can, I can attest to that because I've, I've known David for, for, for a while now. So David, I'm super excited to have you uh, on today. So we'll try to pack your 36 years of experience into less than an hour today. So let's get started. So tell me about a little bit about the firm uh, you're with and what do you typically do? Who do you typically serve? Sure. We're a team of four people, Christensen Wealth Advisors within National Bank Financial. Um, so that's uh, where we're housed. What we do is help nice people make wise decisions about their lives and their money. We best serve clients who are at or near retirement, who are financially independent and are eager to trust an expert rather than try and do it all themselves. Perfect. So let's go back actually a little bit to, the, to your background and let's, uh, let's talk about what really made you become a planner in the first place. Because financial planning really, I mean, the industry has changed so much. So what really made you become a planner in the first place? Well, I moved back to Canada and back to Winnipeg and I needed a job. And that's, <laughs> that's a good reason. It fit in, in a number of ways. Um, my degree is actually in psychology and I thought I wanted to become a counselor and psychologist. And in a sense, that's what I've done the last uh, 34 years. Um, when I moved back from Los Angeles, a friend of mine from high school and university had become a chartered financial planner. At the time, certified financial planner had not yet come to Canada. And he was with uh, a life insurance branch and he recruited me. Um, and I said, I'll, I'll give this a try. I liked the financial planning aspect of it, though, from the very beginning as opposed to the product side of it. So I stayed in the insurance industry for two years and then switched to uh, fee and commission financial planning. So we, I guess we were among some of the first product people to be charging a fee and doing actual financial planning. Excellent. So psychologist and counselor in financial planning. So I want to get back to that. So let's maybe start breaking down your financial planning process. So what do you typically do? You're thinking, uh, so you're helping people who are near or at uh, retirement, but uh, what is the typical process? How do you structure your meetings with them? What do you do when there's, new, let's say, a new person that is interested in working with you uh, and uh, how this is going to uh, break down into your process? Well, we approach it 
by asking ourselves, do we want to work with this person for 10 or 20 years? Not just do they have enough money to afford us? So I was a fee-for-service planner for almost 12 years. And during that period of time, we were very careful about qualifying clients. So it helped that we were charging a fee. So these were clients who were willing to write us a check or give us a credit card to get advice. Uh, They trusted that advice and they followed that advice because they paid for it. They also had a very strong feeling that it was objective advice and it was. So our process is to ask people what they want from their lives. And I'm hoping that they give us a clear answer. Um, For example, the strategic coach R factor question, when we meet here three years from now uh, and we look back on from that time to today, what would you like to have happened personally and financially for you to be fully satisfied with your progress? And if people can give you uh, an answer or they're willing to try to give you an answer to that question, then number one, they trust you. And number two, they have a vision for their own future. So those are some of the things that we're looking for. So we've got a number of tools and questionnaires that ask people about their vision for their future, what their attitudes are about things. uh, And then we try and work that down to very specific goals. So essentially, we follow the five-step, sorry, six-step financial planning process uh, as espoused by the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners. Excellent. So you mentioned the psychologist and the counselor. So how does this come in into play, into, into the process? How, how does this, this come up when we are working with clients? Well, I think a big part of the value we provide to clients is helping them answer the question, what's most important to me? So that's where the, the counseling sort of side comes in. Interestingly, it entails much more listening than actual skillful. I mean, having great questions is a very important thing. And uh, I think it's important for every financial advisor and financial planner to have good questions to ask people. And then they need to train themselves to stop and listen. People like to talk about themselves, but they need to trust someone before they can really open up. So I guess the more I I talk about this stuff, the more it suggests that we are really a counseling service as opposed to uh, financial planning and investments. But once we're clear on what a person's vision is, which is step one, where do you want to go? We look at analyzing their current situation. So we look at their entire net worth in whose name are the assets held? What are the tax rates of the two spouses? um, What's their investment risk tolerance? what types of things, and and we go a lot deeper into that. It's not just an asset allocation. It's are they on the same page and and all of that sort of thing. So step two of that six-step financial planning process is where are they now? And then step three is how do we get them from where they are now to where they want to be? And what are the different options? And um, part of the process for a real financial planner is to show people options, not just, you know, here's the product selection we have. It's, well, you could do it this way. This will take a little longer, but it's a little safer. This may be faster, but uh, you may get derailed. Now, obviously, less and more risk, that's in terms of the investment portfolio, but it could also be more aggressive saving strategies uh, and more aggressive tax strategies if people have that kind of flexibility. So again, uh, this is all long before writing them a prescription. This is all 
helping them explore what the possibilities are. And then that leads to making specific recommendations, then implementing those recommendations. When I was a fee-for-service planner, what some of my product competitors would use as a knock, which was untrue, was that we gave great advice, but we didn't help people get uh, implemented, uh, which was absolutely not true. Um, a huge part of what we do is implementation. And then finally, what really differentiates financial planning from just product sales is the ongoing advice and update of the plan. Very well. A lot of things I wanted to kind of focus on here and dig in, uh, into. So let's maybe start here with, uh, you wrote a book about the structure of the uh, client-centered practice that to really help advisors build a practice focused on clients' needs. Can you t- tell us a little bit more about what do you mean by uh, focusing on or building the practice really that is focused on clients' needs? Uh, yeah, you've really been digging. Yeah, that, that book was more of a, of a manual for other advisors. It, it wasn't a, um, a consumer book, just to be clear. I was very lucky that I chose to go into the strategic coach program and was exposed uh, to a guy named Bill Bishop, who um, has written some great books about uh, building a business around the customers, the clients. So what is it that they need? It's as opposed to here's what we sell or here's what we build. Uh, how can we sell it? It's more, okay, we've got these clients. What are their particular interests? So it, it sort of breaks down three different ways. Um, one is as a group, what are they looking for? And we help find that out through, um, we've done focus groups with our clients uh, and really ask, you know, what do you need now? What is it that we provide that is the most value to you? And what do you think you'll be looking for three to five years from now, which helped us design the, the future of the, uh, so that's what the clientele need as a group. And then we began getting much better at finding out what each individual client needs. So we built the practice around the needs of the group, and then we built a process around customizing that for each individual client because although uh, in some ways they're uh, a homogeneous group they are as you know very unique in uh, each person each situation their personalities their needs their concerns their hopes and dreams and fears so that's how, how we built that and then the manual I wrote basically just said here's the process that we follow here are the questionnaires we use here are the agendas we use for the series of meetings because we have a, a number of meetings as a client is becoming a client and uh, reviewing and implementing their financial plan before they make the decision to hire us uh, long term. Wonderful. So, and and this is really interesting because you know you are we are one of the first ones to charge for advice for doing fee for service planning in Canada, and then you decided to actually help our advisors be really focused on on their clients' needs and, and help them basically build practices. So, so so that's great because you're sharing your knowledge as as you go along, and that's amazing. I have one other specific questions which uh, sometimes comes up in conversations with with advisors that that we talk to. Uh, so, how do you keep clients on track? What, what I mean by this, you know, how do you really measure where they are? year by year, how do you show them progress and how do you uh, really keep them on those rails so they don't go off the rails? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked that because that has, I believe, that's what made us unique uh, in the first 10, 20 years of, of my practice. 
And this is something I learned from McDonald Shimko and company who I was partnered with and uh, I look on as my mentors. They were actually doing fee-for-service planning 20 years before I was, <laughs> uh, before I joined them. So I learned a ton from them. And the key was that we have an annual meeting with our clients roughly once a year. as you can. <laughs> uh, And we give them homework to do. So what's happened in their lives. And then when we meet, we follow uh, an agenda that's customized for that client. And what we start out with is, okay, a year ago, we agreed jointly that this is what you were going to try and achieve. And this is what we were going to do for you. How have we both done? So we measure the achievements of the past year. So uh, very good for the clients because um, they, you know, they see that they're making progress. But it's also very good for us, very good for advisors, because we are showing the value we're providing. So uh, clients see the progress because, you know, let's say that a year ago, someone became a client and we said, okay, when you retire in 10 years, you're going to have $75,000 a year after tax to spend. So the year's gone on, they've saved a little extra. Uh, we've done well with the investments, done a little bit better than our, our assumptions. Uh, and now they're going to be able to retire in nine years with $85,000 a year. So they can see that they're making progress. Um, this was particularly valuable for us and for all of our clients in 2008, uh, which is the only year where all of our clients took a little bit of a step back. But a lot of our clients came in saying, oh my God, my, my neighbor lost half her money. Uh, how, how bad are we? And we showed them that, okay, the previous projection said you'd be able to retire in 10 years with $85,000 a year. Now it's 81000 mm -hmm. So we're able to show people that they're making progress. We're able to show them the damage if something like 2007, 2008 ever happens again. Uh, and we keep the financial plan fresh and on track. So what I mean by that is they have new goals this year and, and we force our clients to set specific measurable goals each year for the coming year and for the, for the longer future. And so when we're looking at uh, 10 years from now, we know that the milestone a year from now is X. So yeah. we can show that they're above that milestone and they're doing well. So for us, it's an ongoing process and it, it keeps us in touch with clients. Uh, we've got wonderful clients who became clients because they said, yeah, uh, I saw uh, uh, an investment advisor bought all these investments and now I don't know where I stand. And, and you know, I never hear from them except when it's time to do a product and things. So investment advisors aren't generally financial planners, although more and more of the two are coming together. Absolutely. But people really want clear answers. They want some certainty uh, and they want an honest appraisal of where they are and where they're going. And we build our practice by providing those answers. When I was a fee-for-service advisor, people would come to us not knowing how they were doing on their investments, not knowing if they were going to be able to retire. And in many cases, we looked at it and said, wow, your investment portfolio is great. You, you know, you've been doing really well. And we developed a process of monitoring and reporting on those investments for them, even though we weren't the investment broker. Interesting. Yeah. What we found is that clients 
if they had a clear report every three months, so you think of them as the owner of the company and we became the general manager and we provided them with a quarterly report that answered the questions, how am I doing? Right. Am I doing the best I can? In other words, is there anything, any changes I should be making right now to help me reach my goals? Uh, and there's a third question. I forget what it is. But anyway, it's, it's related to all of that. Uh, that you know, so clarity on, on how we're doing and, and what we should be doing different. Wonderful. And I really like that, uh, what you said about um, basically keeping pe uh, people uh, on track and really comparing the impact of basically what happened maybe yesterday on the stock market to what is the, really the, the long-term impact on their, on their projections. And because that really helps to manage the relationship and really shows them that, you know what, I mean, this is just a small hiccup and we can go over that uh, probably with overnight, over the next couple of years. There's no reason to panic. And, and that's, that's, that's amazing. So let's, uh, you know, of course, I can, I can see that. I mean, you, you've, you've created the process, you've been practicing uh, for, for such a long time, and, and you've really nailed a lot of things about the process. But let's flip this on the other side. So what do you find the most difficult in advising clients? Like, what is the something that, that really uh, is, is, is the, kind of the most challenging part, really, of, of planning uh, to you? Well, it's interesting. There are lots of things that are challenging, but I find those very enjoyable. Um, like, a, you know, for example, we've got uh, spouses, a husband and wife come in and maybe they've got a very, very different point of view, uh, a completely different risk tolerance, a completely different understanding of what investments are and what they can do, sometimes different goals. Um, you know, sometimes one of them wants to retire next year and the other says, no, I, I love my career. I'll, I want to keep going. So putting those two things together, sometimes it's marriage counseling, goes back to my psychology background, but you know, the main thing is, again, it's a challenge when people are in disagreement and sometimes unspoken things or secrets come out in our meeting room. And, you know, again, that's a challenge to listen to all of that and, and see one spouse, hear things that totally uh, shocks them or surprises them. It's a lot of fun sometimes, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I've, I've kind of seen it all, done it all, and, and there's always a Kleenex box in my, uh, in my meeting room. That's been for 25 years. But other challenging things, like the things I, I find most difficult are like the average age of our clients is about 64. Mm -hmm. And some are much older than that. And so we have some clients who are having health challenges, uh, some with diminishing capacity. Uh, two clients this year who were diagnosed specifically with Alzheimer's. Uh, and that's difficult. And I've had some clients pass away. And we're sort of part of the family with, with the survivors. And, and that's, as I've gotten older, that's become part of life in my personal life as well as my professional life. And it's up to us to remain the professionals and to provide all the help that's required. So, you know, in terms of difficulty, I, I would say that's maybe the most difficult thing. I mean, there are all sorts of other challenges like, uh, the, you know, the people can get information from all sources these days. Um, and information is free now, but wisdom is not. And helping people differentiate between the two, uh, that's an ongoing challenge. You know, the other things are unrelated to planning. It's, it's regulation and um, compliance, all those <laughs> things that, that, you know, and, and a million emails a day. Uh, trying to keep up with all those things really requires a system. Anyway, well, I'll talk more about that if we talk about advice for, for people starting out. 
Absolutely. So, so compliance always comes up. But uh, so you mentioned something really interesting here. So uh, you mentioned information is free. And of course, I mean, with internet, I mean, there's so much information out there. The problem is really find the quality. And, and then you said that wisdom is not. So, so what do you think uh, typically clients, uh, consumers misunderstand when it comes to financial planning? What do they miss? What, what are some of the biggest things they, they miss? Oh, boy. That's a long, long list. Um, <laughs> they, if they read certain financial columnists and writers, uh, they may think that ETFs are the answer to everything. Uh, and they're not the answer to everything. They're a very useful tool and, and they fill a niche, but they're not the answer to everything. Other things they read are that um, the only thing important about investing is reducing your costs. Reducing costs is very important and keeping it very efficient. And you know we've, we've striven to do that uh, for 30 years. Obviously, I believe that paying for good advice and ongoing counsel uh, and management is an important thing. So I'm seeing more in the financial press an acknowledgement of that fact. So I think some of the, the writers are becoming enlightened. Uh, so that's a positive thing. But the other uh, um, free advice things, I received in the mail uh, a solicitation for an, um, an investment newsletter. And as you read through this thing, it, it's crazy, but it's compelling. And I do meet people who say, well, they've proven about, you know, here's this, this example and that example. Even though if you read the entire sales piece, it's so self-contradictory. It, it drives me crazy. But nevertheless, so people are being offered answers, easy answers. Uh, every time you go to look for a stock price, on a, on a website, you are inundated with ads for things like uh, investment websites and, and newsletters and, and things that have all these answers. And here's the next 2,000% gain or things like that. So, you know, I think that's, that's a challenge for individuals to sort through all that stuff. Get the, there's more noise than ever. One of the, our jobs, we've always said to people, is that part of our job is to help you edit out the noise that's being thrown at you so that you can make good decisions based on your, your situation. And we started saying that 20 years ago. Uh, and, and if anything, uh, that flood of information has, has become a torrent. Right. I mean, that's looking for short shortcuts. It's really uh, part of human psychology, right? So, so, so I'm not surprised. And of course, there's more information. There's, there's more things that, uh, uh, that uh, people will be uh, tempted to try. And of course, an you know, important role for us as advisors is, is, as you said, is to provide this wisdom to actually uh, sort through and, and eliminate the things that are actually not important and, or, or damaging. So I'm going to talk about also uh, uh, about, um, I want to mention the other book that you wrote. And this is kind of more the consumer uh, book, Managing the Bull and No Nonsense Approach to Personal finance. So you're talking in this book about some of the principles about financial planning. I think we probably mentioned a number of them, but is there something else that we haven't talked about that, that would be important when it comes to this book? Well, what we've already talked about, the, the title of the book is Managing the Bull, and it doesn't really reference the bull market as much as the BS that, that is out there everywhere. So the, the book just really outlines my philosophy of uh, deciding who you are and where you want to be before making decisions about product. Uh, you know, no matter whether that's a phone or an investment, uh, it doesn't matter. Like, think about yourself first. So it, it 
I guess in a way it's, it's an evolution of the client-centered practice manual for advisors. Managing the bull is in many ways uh, um, an individual's manual for managing themselves. And, and it, it gives lots of information about options and decisions and you know taxes and things like that, but it's not a technical book. I always tell people, read the first 30 pages. If, if that will help you get centered and focused on yourself. And if you like that, then you can read the rest of the book. It's a good title. <laughs> I like the title. So, okay. So let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the things you, you, you've seen how the industry has changed. And uh, so what do you think is going to happen next over the next you know, five, 10 years? Uh, you know, how is, you said that investment managers are becoming more of kind of morphing into financial planners. They're, they're, they're becoming, the financial planning is becoming much more, uh, much more common right now. But uh, tell me more, like what else do you see right now in the market as you speak with your colleagues in the market, as you speak with consumers? How, what do you think uh, is going to happen with financial services industry here in Canada? Well, the, the financial services industry uh, is becoming more large, larger scale. Uh, so each advisor is being required to have a larger book in order to survive. What I mean by that is that the costs are going up all the time. So cost of compliance, uh, professional development, all of those things. And all of those are really good things. So when I said before that there used to be a stockbroker and he didn't really, he or she didn't really need to know anything about taxes, although eventually they learned what the dividend tax credit was so that they could sell stocks better. You know, that it was all that process, and I'm going back a long way. And then there were fee-for-service financial planners uh, and, and accountants, people providing pure advice uh, and not always helping with the implementation. In between were people who called themselves financial planners, but they were using financial planning as a means to deliver a product. So that was a step forward in, in many ways, but uh, a step back in others. So going forward, I, I think that melding is coming closer and closer. Like when you look at an investment advisor team at a brokerage firm, at an investment dealer, uh, that's what used to be called a broker. But now it's more and more larger teams, obviously, and more specialties. So it's common to find a CFP or an RFP on that team doing actual financial planning for each client. So that's becoming much more common. And I think that's going to become table stakes going forward. Um, there aren't going to be very many people making a living just selling investments and not providing the ongoing advice. Mm -hmm. So they can, if someone is an investment specialist and, and that's their particular unique ability, then that's what they should be doing. But acting as a portfolio manager in conjunction with a true financial planner. Right. So... If we focus, for example, on somebody who's younger and wants to, is thinking about joining the industry, what, what kind of advice would you, would you have for somebody uh, like that who, who likes planning, likes the investments? Would you say you know, focus uh, on maybe working with, with a more experienced investment manager or go on your own, become independent, start with fee-for-service planner uh, planning first? Um, uh, do you have any advice maybe for, for people who are thinking about joining the industry? Yeah. Um, make sure it's the career you want and be clear on why you want it. That, that'd be first step. The next is uh, I would seek out great mentors and, and great partners because I think it's very, very hard to really start on your own, whether, it's, whether you're with 
uh, an investment dealer or um, a mutual fund dealership or a fee-for-service. Um, you can join the, in the industry or the profession in all of those areas, but I think in all cases, it's best to work with someone for a while. Um, and once you've got a few years, it, sort of like when you, know, when you start out, it's the old story, uh, I'm not going to hire somebody without experience. Right. So you've got to get that experience. But what worked for me over the years is having great partners, uh, great mentors, um, hiring great people. But I've got a young associate with me who is, it's so exciting for me because he's uh, ambitious and, and smart and honest and, you know, all these wonderful qualities. And I'm worried that he's working way too hard. I mentioned <laughs> that to my wife a week or two ago and she, she just kind of laughed at me and she said, remember when the, the principal at the school thought that uh, I was a single parent because she'd never seen you. <laughs> you were always gone before 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so uh, that leads me to the fact that, you know, another, there is no substitute for real hard work. So that, that worked for me. Uh, luck worked for me. I had two big breaks as a fee-only planner. Um, I was asked by a radio station to host uh, a radio show, which I did for a year and a half. And that led me to being invited to write a weekly column in the newspaper. And in both cases, it was very important to me to remain objective and professional. So in both cases, I charged them for it and they paid me. So it wasn't a paid advertisement, which a lot of those things are. Um, but those really raised my profile and allowed me to build uh, a very successful fee-only practice you need to have referrals from professionals and from your clients. So you need to make yourself referable as, as you grow your business. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by being referable? Well, you have to do what you say, uh, follow through on what you tell people you'll do. Um, that's number one. You have to always be honest, even when it's inconvenient. Mm -hmm. um, people can see through that. And it may cost you in the short run sometimes, but it'll pay in the, in the long term. Related to that is don't burn bridges. Right. No matter where you are, it's a small town. Winnipeg has 800,000 people. Uh, everybody knows everybody. And, you know, especially in, in, a, in a profession like ours. You've got to work hard and you've got to work smart, but you really can't cut corners. You can streamline things. And one of the things I'm most excited about right now in our practice is how we are using technology to, um, as, a, as a labor saver, you know, in other words, to, to make things run easier and faster and more efficiently, mm -hmm. because that allows us to devote more time face-to-face -face with clients. So high-tech, high-touch. Um, nice. So can you name some of the technologies? What, what are you excited most about? Well, as, as a team, uh, SharePoint is uh, what we're allowed to use. I, I'm underneath a bank ultimately, so we're restricted in the types of softwares and things we can use. But we're working on having clients be able to go online and make book their own appointments with us. Um, it takes my assistant a lot of time booking with clients and Absolutely. many of them like the personalized touch, but some of them like to just go on and say, mm, okay, let's see, that'll work for me and click on and, and book it. So automating things like that. The conundrum is that lots and lots of companies have used technology to download work onto us, the customer and consumer. 
And we're trying not to do that. Uh, you know, we're trying to just give people the channels uh, that's, that they're easiest for them. We should be providing more online tools for people to do their own plans and projections. Mm-hmm. However, that is at odds with our business model because the, the people who hire us are people who can afford us and people who want us to do it and be the experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want someone they can trust. So they want to trust rather than do. But that's another example of, of where younger advisors uh, can make their business more efficient and, and make it run better. What else? The, I think the biggest thing is when, when you, this is an ongoing thing, not just when you start out in the business. And that's to have a really clear three-year vision. So, and, and it, I, I suggest people state it in the present tense. I am running a business with 80 clients with whom we have a very deep relationship. Uh, I am making X number of dollars. Uh, I am providing value in these four ways. And um, that helps you figure out, okay, what do I have to do to get from here to there? Mm -hmm. And what do I have to do this month or this quarter to make that happen? And in order to do that, what do I have to do today and every day? And those are the critical things that have to be done. Don't let the important or urgent, quote, things push them out of the way. Stick to the, you know, make sure you do those most important things every day. Excellent. So, David, you've been sharing a lot of uh, tips about, you know, what made you successful in building practice, what uh, people who are thinking of joining the industry can, can do. But I always, uh, I always ask two questions at the end, and uh, I'm going to ask you for more wisdom. So, uh, just before we wrap up, uh, you know what, this podcast is all about growing a practice. Would you have any other parting words of wisdom for, for the listeners? Yes, you can't do it alone for a variety of reasons. So, as soon as you can afford to, add smart people to your team. One need is to delegate things that are not your unique skill or, you know, things that aren't really providing value or moving the business forward. So that's one requirement. But the other is more generally that because none of us possess all of the skills that we need, you know, especially in this day and age. You know, in my case, I've got a fellow who is a technological wizard, um, but he's also smart enough to realize that sometimes a phone call to a client is much more effective than an email, et cetera. So um, hire very carefully and easy, but don't be afraid to partner up with people and know that you don't have all the answers. Uh, It's so easy to want to be a rugged individualist. And most of us who want to be entrepreneurs have that natural tendency, but you don't know it all. Uh, So you have to share the limelight, you have to share the money, but you know, that's, that's the way you get where you, where you want to go. That's a great advice. David, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you? Track me down at my office in Winnipeg, either by email or by phone. Uh, or if you Google search me, you'll find lots of stuff. So uh, I'm at National Bank Financial uh, in Winnipeg, and I'm david.christensen at nbc.ca. Wonderful. David, thanks so much for coming on the show and providing so much value. Great pleasure, Pavel. And and I I also want to say thank you to you for providing such value and 
incredible tools to help financial planners become more professional in Canada. This podcast is one, but obviously your software and all of its help and assistance is, is the biggest one. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com. And if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.